0: Mr. Derek Vienhoff, who's better known as Deke. <gasps>
1: Drinking liquor with DJ Deke, we out laughing. Yo, Deke. Welcome back, folks, to the Decast. We are here today with Andres Gomez from the Omnic Labs podcast. Welcome, Andres.
0: Hello, hello. Thank you for having me.
1: Problem. So today we wanted to get into the topic of Overwatch. Uh, Listeners may or may not play. And so if you don't know what it is, um, Andres, how would you describe to somebody what Overwatch is? Um, Right now, I I would describe it as
0: a competitive shooter, uh, video game, obviously. um, And one of the biggest Esport titles uh, out there right now, and if you don't know what esports is, is um, electronic competition basically.
1: Mm-hmm. They, they describe it technically as a hero shooter, right?
0: Yeah, hero shooters, how they describe themselves. Uh, if you've ever played something like League of Legends or Dota um, or any sort of game in that genre, is a mashup between that style of games and a first-person shooter like counter-strike or call of duty kind of like both of those those both of those had a kid overwatch would be born
1: yeah there's seeming there's seemingly a lot of uh different influences in the game right like uh team fortress 2 half-life um uh, you mentioned counter-strike um halo even like with the the kind of jumping that halo used to have which was different than a lot of other games yeah what's interesting about the game is that You get
0: to pick from a wide variety of heroes or characters in the game. It's about 29 that you have right now. And each of them kind of brings a unique skill set or way to play and engage with the game. Um, And a lot of those characters are inspired by some of the first person shooters or uh, MOBAs like League of Legends and Dota heroes in those games. Um, So it's pretty cool because they've managed to bring kind of like influences from all of those games that we used to play before and put them into, like, one single game. And depending on what character you're playing, you kind of get, like, a different flavor in that sense.
1: Yeah, it's so true. I mean, when I first played it, I got it, I think I got it in 2017, and it came out in 2016. And I had not, I just built myself a PC, um, having not had one for, like, five, six years. Oh, awesome. So I kind of went to console, and then I went back to PC. Um, I mean, I could play the Switch, I played PS4, and then the PC, but... Um, yeah, when I got it, I, I realized that like it was—I don't know—it was like the next level of um, of gaming because they just combined so many different aspects and made it so polished. And it seemed like it still seems is that like, uh, Blizzard is constantly uh, with their hand on the dial, like changing things and updating things accordingly, and keeping keeping everything balanced and and leveled out. Um, oh yeah, that, that's one of the things. Well, one of the
0: biggest features of the game, right? It's not a game that gets made and it's released and it's said and done um it's been a game that from the get-go it was very obvious that their intent was to just keep going right like keep changing it keep polishing it keep adding stuff uh it's an ongoing project which gives it a lot of uh, longevity and also the efforts that they've been doing organizing a huge competitive um scene parallel to the game i think that makes it one of those games that it is here to stay for a long time right and um uh, if you're into competitive gaming, it's it's a safe bet, and it's also a very fun and interactive game. You'll, you'll be learning for a really long time. I've been playing the game for about three years, and I'm still learning uh, a lot of things about the heroes.
1: Yeah, and so what you guys do with your uh, Onyx Labs podcast is um, um a lot of deep diving on strategy. Is it, Would you say it's mostly covering strategy?
0: Yeah, we focus on strategy on the podcast. Yeah. Um, we try to cover the competitive scene every once in a while although i have a different podcast that focuses on that a little bit more mm-hmm. but the omnic lab mainly focuses on the strategy of the game just learn the game when we started the podcast we started when the game first launched and our main idea was to just learn the game in parallel to our community and our listeners um and try to bring that knowledge that we've been soaking in to everyone else so we've had Uh, professional players or players that are really high ranked in the game we've had uh, coaches for teams uh, in the professional league we've had some of the game developers just come into the game and express their opinions through the strategic eye if you might say that
1: yeah um so where did your fan base did you guys play different games before this and sort of bring some of your fan base um, over to overwatch like did you have a podcast before this as well or how did that start
0: We had a few uh, fan projects we had before that. I was working on a Hearthstone podcast. Um, It was called Hearthaholics. It's uh, another game by Blizzard. Um, But I was into that. Uh, At the time, I didn't have a very good computer either. So Hearthstone was the only thing I could really run on my computer without it exploding. (laughs) Um, And, you know, recording a podcast doesn't require a lot of um, like like a super powerful computer either. So I was working on that with some friends. But it was nothing too big. It was mostly just for for fun and learning. Um, but when Overwatch got announced, I was like, "Oh, I need to and to get a new computer." I was into the game from the announcement, um, and we were doing a similar thing with the Hearthstone podcast. Like a, it was mostly a, a learning podcast. So we would take decks uh, and strategies in the game and kind of like dissect them and try to like go through them. So it was a natural kind of like transition. I've always enjoyed. Just talking about games from like that learning perspective because I'm a I geek out over games like that right I just want to learn about them
1: yeah uh, you mentioned like uh, learning in the game that there's so much to learn I think I've I have like 500 or so hours I'm like a silver rank player like I don't really play competitive much um, but on Far I have like 200 hours but for oh, some nice. reason I'm that's, not that's pretty decent it's pretty good but but for some reason I feel like I should be much better on that character having played <laughs> 200 hours. Like you'd think that you would have learned everything after um, playing that many hours on the one uh, character, but uh, there's so many little tricks and, and mobility things and different um, things you can learn with with each character. And say, mentioning that there are 29 or whatever characters, that's like oh, eight yeah. hours to have to be able to learn them all. Basically, and that's one of the things about the game and what
0: makes it so competitive. It's because unlike other games where you, if you put a thousand hours into the game, you we can notice it, right? Your character will be decked out. You'll be one of the highest levels. Um, And every time you come back, you have that progression kind of saved, but overwatch, it's more like a sport in itself or like playing an instrument. You can put in a lot of hours into it, but if you leave it um, and don't touch it for a while and come back, you notice that you're rusty, you know, your muscles are not quite there anymore. So it's a moving target, right? Like you have to stick with the game and kind of like practice the game and exercise it kind of like you would if you're trying to learn the guitar or if you're trying to learn how to play basketball. Right. And if you don't practice your muscles are kind of like forget a little bit and you kind of have to get that rust off. So, um, I don't know. It's one thing that gamers might like about the game. One thing that may put up some other gamers, but the game is definitely built for that competition aspect
1: right it's like it's like the opposite of pong like the the simplicity of a game like pong, and then like to for someone back then to to imagine what a game would be like now i mean it's so for just an action-based game there's so many variables and that's what kind of makes me as an average player kind of get uh, a little discouraged or or like when i first uh, played competitive i was like pretty nervous like uh You know, they talk about, like, toxicity in the game, too. Um, Like, when you play competitive and you do something stupid, um, you know, some people will will chirp you pretty hard, and it can be discouraging for someone who's just starting out playing on that competitive rank, But which led me back to just keep playing um, quick play a lot because there's less pressure. Um, It's more of a casual experience. But um, I've gotten over that hump a little bit, um, and now uh, can at least I do my rankings at least every time there's a new season. I don't quite really play deep into the season, but... um, um can you speak to like the um culture in, in Overwatch and the little bit of toxicity that is there and like how Blizzard's trying to combat that? Yeah, sure. I think that
0: it's unavoidable. Toxicity in a competitive game—it just happens, just by human nature, right? I don't think it's like an exclusive problem of Overwatch. Yeah. But Overwatch being such a popular game and a game that is played by people from so many places around the world on the internet, which you know offers anonymity, is just really prone to—you know—you might have those bad experiences every once in a while where somebody's being extra toxic, uh, calling you bad, or not getting of your case you know in a a game about you know not being too good in a hero that maybe you don't have as much experience playing even though you're just just trying to help the team right do as best as you can but it happens um and i've been playing the game for a long time and i'm exposed to that toxicity too sometimes sometimes it wears me down and i do have to put the game away for the day and just be like you know what it's a beautiful day outside. It's not yeah. worth, you know, being mad at somebody that I don't even know in the game. Um, my girlfriend started playing Overwatch 2, um, and she had a, a flawless, flawless first experience. She had, like, super awesome teammates. Nobody was being too toxic until that one dude, right? Like, I think it was the second day she was playing. This one dude just wouldn't leave her alone. Uh, she, was say, she was playing diva. She was like, oh, your diva is terrible. You should never play diva again. Just go play something else like Mercy or something. And like yeah. <clears throat> clearly a douchebag, right? Yeah. And she got super discouraged, but I had to talk her through it, right? Uh, like eventually you'll find those people in the game and it's not worth your attention. Just know that, you know, they're making their world a little bit sadder you know by being like that pushing people away uh and at the end of the day nobody's gonna invite those guys back uh you you just be yourself and try not to let those people affect you even inside of the game i know it can be hard sometimes easier said than done but if you truly enjoy the game and you want to play overwatch to learn those those people are like a second thought you know i mean fortunately there's tools in the game you can mute them you can report them um <clears throat> you can right. form your own groups to try to minimize um the those you know random people out there in the world but you know it's going to happen
1: yeah you just got to kind of let it let it slide and play your game you know um uh, so there's like 40 million i've seen numbers of 40 million players worldwide so this game is is really taken off and is kind of coinciding with um the era of the rise of esports uh in general What are uh, the other um, eSport games that are huge? Uh, League of Legends. I don't really watch eSports, mostly, so...
0: Yeah, right. I would say League of Legends uh, and Counter-Strike are like the two biggest giants. Dota has a pretty good scene as well. They have a really big prize money. Um, Fortnite is kind of building its own competitive scene, although the game, I think, is more centered around its Twitch audience rather than, you know... Yeah tournaments and uh, other stuff like that but they do have them and they do have a lot of prices there Uh, what i think makes overwatch stand out though is that they're the first uh, company that's been able to bring a competitive league at the scale that they've brought i don't know if you um watch any overwatch league a little bit yeah so
1: like for listeners toronto toronto has a team now in Vancouver, like um which is sort of would be our local team where, where we're based um like an hour out of Toronto, and so uh, I just watched their their match. They lost to Dallas. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, Toronto has been doing pretty good so far,
0: actually. I was surprised okay. that Dallas was able to take him. Um, but but yeah, the Overwatch League is kind of like regionalized. They're imitating traditional sports in the sense that you'll find teams from L.A., San Francisco. You'll find teams in Florida. Uh, Atlanta just got its own team, which makes me really excited because that's where I'm from. Um, and even it's international. You have a team uh, from London. You have a team from Seoul, South Korea, a team from Shanghai, China. Um, And that has been kind of like their end goal. They want to have a league that is spread out around the world and has local representation. Um, So far, they've done a fantastic job. They have about, I think it's over 15 teams. uh, And each of the teams has bought into the league as a franchise. And it's not uh, a cheap franchise to buy in. I think the first year is about... Twenty million dollars to buy into Overwatch League, mm. so you can imagine that the owners of these teams um, are, you know, pretty well off to start. Uh, I think Robert Kraft owns a team. Uh, Comcast owns a team here in the U.S. We have um, people like Cox Enterprises, uh, a huge like media conglomerate here in Atlanta, who owns the Atlanta team. Mm. So they're they're big investors coming in and the teams that they have are very well funded the players that are playing for the league are salaried so you got um these kids with a contract with a minimum of fifty thousand dollars a year so it's a very organized effort and so far it's paid off we're in the second year of overwatch league the first year showed great viewership and uh, a ton of investors have bought into the league so we're coming in strong into the the second season in a I don't know. It feels really good that the, the league has worked so well and that finally we're getting more of an organized effort from companies and a bunch of other people all over the world to make this very
1: legitimate. Yeah. Uh, Toronto just had the weekend. The singer uh, invest in, in, in their, um, their team. So you have a lot of that celebrity endorsements, too, happening. And, right. Um... Yeah. Um, Now, the interesting thing about competitive gaming in general, uh, and especially Overwatch, is so many of the player base in the professional um, uh, realm are from South Korea. And uh, it's kind of an interesting aspect because you have this country with a history of like the highest Internet speeds and a lot of um, spending on their Internet infrastructure. They were like the first um, one of the first countries, I think, to complete the transition to broadband from dialogue oh, wow. i actually didn't know that. yeah i think they were the first um i was just doing a little bit of reading about it actually this was a crazy stat i found too that they say 50 percent of south koreans aged 10 to 19 are actually affected by game addiction um and that, i thought that was like a crazy stat um 92 percent of their population is actually online um uh and they have this sort of culture based around the internet cafes and the gaming cafes, uh, which which blizzard had to sort of um, deal with some issues uh, springing from that, just like Smurf accounts or or people uh, using aim bots and cheating uh, uh, apps on these accounts that they, of course, are not buying the game. They're going into these cafes and signing up for these sort of um, uh, quick, quick turnover accounts or whatever you call it. But it's interesting that uh, regionally you have these different, sort of levels of access to the game or levels of the way uh, the way that players use the game Um, so that you know it's crazy uh there's actually a law in south korea that i think if you're under 16 you're not allowed to play online games between midnight and 6 a.m really they have like an online curfew yeah
0: and it's not even a
1: new thing it's from like 2011 i think so i mean who knows where the big
0: that's where the big boys hang out in the internet
1: (laughs) yeah Yeah. so i don't know how much that's enforced or whatever but it's kind of interesting that they have legislation to combat uh that but clearly their um their access to internet has allowed a lot of these south korean players to shine and sort of um i mean i don't know if that's the only reason but it seems like a correlation Um, No, it's interesting that you bring up
0: like all those different kind of facts about South Korea because they are kind of like the mecca of competitive gaming. Like mm -hmm. you get the best players in almost every game. In every competitive game out there, some of the best players are coming from South Korea. And like the big majority, it's a tiny country compared to like the rest of the world, but yet they're dominating kind of like in all that scene.
1: Yeah, I think Philly is the only team that has more non-South Korean players than South Korean players. Like, uh, And it's actually yeah. increased from, from early 2018 to to now. I think the percentage, the ratio has actually increased a little bit. Yeah, last season we had more teams that had less South Korean
0: players, but it turns out the teams that had the most South Korean players did the best. And now uh, this season we have a huge influx. Like, almost Some teams have changed to an all-South Korean roster this year on purpose, um for that specific reason and I, I don't know i think that in south korea that culture the internet cafes and all, all of that stuff has bred like video games are like the main sport over there right like kind of like in south america soccer is a thing to right. do or yeah. in in the u.s you know you play football or baseball actually the u.s has a bunch of sports so they're a little yeah, bit different there but i know
1: <laughs> what you mean like something like a setting that kind of allows for that to flourish right Exactly.
0: Yeah. And like if you're a kid and you're growing up, that's what you do. You go to the Internet cafe and everyone's just gaming together. And because I think you get that social recognition, right? Like if you're good in South Korea, like people around you actually know who you are and yeah. it gives you some status. If you look at the professional players in South Korea, some of them are like celebrities, like they have fans and like girls like throwing themselves at them or vice versa right yeah. um uh, but like it's <clears throat> it's um what is the word that i'm looking for over here glamorous being a professional player over there
1: yeah for sure um you know um do you do you look at uh, overwatch or esports as like a, i mean i guess it sort of by default is but do you look at it as like a nerdy thing um or do you think it's becoming more mainstream you know cuz Um, people will kind of like, uh, put it down or say it's not a sport. You know, I mean, you can get a debate about the terminology, you know, of sports and esports and, uh, you know, that, that kind of thing. But, um, clearly there's like a large fan base, um, that, um, of course there's going to be nerdy people that play these types of games, but, um, it's also like, do you feel like it's pretty accessible for the average person or do you think that it's more of a a game that you sort of have to be nerdy to play? (laughs)
0: Um, I think they're definitely pretty nerdy. Uh, You got to be pretty geeky and, you know, be into kind of like that sort of thing to get into video games. But I think they're more accessible than people might think. Um, uh, Video games are the great equalizer to me. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what gender, um, what country you're from, what race. Uh, When you're in a video game, it's all about what can you do, right? How good can you be? And you can be good coming from any background in a video game right as long as you put in the time and the effort you can really shine and i think that the video game community is very embracing of that um they they, they don't really care where you're coming from and you can see that in competitive video games as long as you're killing it in the game they they will cheer for you and they will you know be be behind you so i think that is really cool about the community itself um now as far as the uh, the term sport, right? I think that at that point, it depends on how you define the word sport. To me, sport means competition. Now, there's athletic competition, which you regard as, you know, traditional sports, or most people regard as traditional sports. Um, You know, you got your soccer or running or, you know, the Olympics, all that stuff, which is really impressive. And esports themselves are not looking at athletic competition. You know, they're not looking at who's the strongest in the room or who's the tallest, uh, who can run for the longest. Yeah. Instead, they're looking at more of a mental competition, right? Um, what's your strategy like? You know, how can you outplay the opponent? Can you read past their actions? And then there's some hand-eye coordination that you do have to improve. In Overwatch, you know, being fast with your reflexes, building that muscle memory so that you can take the most meaningful shots at the right time when you're exactly needed. Um, And not only that, when you're reading a bunch of, of information, when you're looking at the screen, there's like 25 things happening. Can you discern through all of that information and make the right decision at the clutch time? Right. So I think that that is what you're testing in video games. And it's a skill just like anything else, like somebody who's never played Overwatch versus somebody who's been playing Overwatch for a while. It's almost like no contest. Right. So there's definitely some skill involved there.
1: Yeah, the, well, we've talked about this on this podcast before, but um, they've done studies on uh, professional gamers, uh, of course, and uh, the, what they see is that the gray matter in the brain actually uh, grows in volume um, with uh, under MRI scans. They've seen that with professional gamers, and I guess there's this part of the brain called, I'm going to screw it up, but it's called something like the inner folded cortices, cortices something, some part of the brain that is, um, uh, I think it has to do with linguistics and um, empathy, And these kind of these kind of things. And for some reason, that's like heightened in uh, people who play games. So it's like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. We mentioned athleticism. That is one of the the defining lines that some people uh, put in the sand um, between esports and real sports. But if you're looking at athleticism based on certain muscles of the body, uh, you know, for the running and jumping that we talked about. Versus mm-hmm. maybe the gray matter in your brain could be the muscle. You're...
0: <laughs> yeah, you're exercising your brain.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, but it's true. There's so much sort of that happens in a game like this. Uh, uh, like me, like as an average player, I'm still getting used to that. Like uh, after, like I mentioned, 500 hours. Um, you know, trying to discern between everything, it's really see where what you should be doing at each moment. Um, being and so in your podcast, you talk about uh, game sense and positioning and, and these kind of uh, pillars of of the gameplay. Um, Could you talk a little bit about that and then maybe we could get into like strategy and that kind of thing for some players.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I'll try not to get super deep into it for, you know, any people, anyone listening to the podcast that is not into Overwatch. Um, But the game itself has a lot of depth and a lot of angles that you have to kind of like improve at to really excel at the game. The most obvious one that everyone kind of like strikes at first is your aim, right? And then that is probably one of the more mechanical skills that you have to learn in the game that actually requires you practicing, you know, you actually moving your mouse in the correct motions, uh, pressing the keys at the right times without what we call fat fingering, right? Which is pressing the wrong key when you meant to press a a different key. Um, and that just requires straight up, you know, you sitting down and doing those motions for a while and there are some exercises that you can do out there uh, in the game or outside of the game to kind of improve yourself in that way. Uh, but you're basically just want to make it a secondary thought where you're not even thinking about moving the mouse. It's kind of it to like when you move your head, if you want to look behind you or to your side or above you, you don't really have to think about it. You just move your head that way um, and you don't overshoot it either. Right. Like if you want to look straight behind you, you know. much you have to move your head to look straight behind but in the video game sometimes when you're just learning it and you haven't gotten used to it overshooting happens all the time right like you want to look behind you but you end up looking like 45 degrees past where you want it to look right like you want to eliminate that sort of thing and just make it a secondary thought where you can look everywhere in the game and interact with the game as seamlessly as possible then after that, I think it goes more into an abstract sort of learning. Uh, you're focusing more on the strategy of the game. So you're trying to learn um, how the heroes work, right? Every ability in the game, what do they do? What is their strengths? What are their weaknesses? What's the range of effectiveness of these abilities? And this adds a lot of information for you to make decisions inside of the game. Now that you know how to interact with the game, now you need to inform yourself where do I need to be standing to be in the least amount of danger possible, right? And that will depend on the, what the enemy team is playing, what heroes are, do they have, what abilities do they have at their disposal, and what should be your approach to try to minimize the damage that they can do towards you, right? Like we said before, every hero in the game has their own characteristics, so you have to learn what like the strengths and weaknesses of those heroes are so you can... Um, get the most juice out of it right and the best players have a combination of both of those skills they're really mechanically adapt or adept um and they're also very strategically minded right they know everything there is to know about the game and they know how to um either abuse their strengths or how to mitigate their weaknesses
1: yeah and then of course you have your own team that could be um any one of these 20 so 20 or so characters right? Uh, that you also have to know, okay, my ability to pairs well with this guy's ability on my right or, or this guy's defensive thing on my left will, will help me do this other move. And the, so the layers just kind of start piling on.
0: Yeah, I didn't even touch teamwork at that point. But yeah, that starts getting more complicated because then how do you interact with your teammates, right? Because you can make your team so much stronger if each of you guys is working together and kind of helping each other out. Um, and you can even outplay or counteract certain uh, weaknesses that your team has, as long as you're interacting together. Um, and that's like a whole different skill set that you got to learn about. So it's a very complex game, and there's definitely a lot of layers to learn.
1: Yeah. So when these guys are playing competitively, um, are they? Uh, they don't always show it. Like when you're watching, are they always yelling at each other and and speaking and like <laughs> strategizing as they're playing?
0: uh usually they are yeah and usually yeah. usually what they're shouting at each other is the the focus that they want to kind of like have everyone on the same page like we said there's six heroes on each team so 12 players total and each player is doing a bunch of things at the same time right uh, and sometimes you do want to bring everyone together on the same page so they're usually just yelling the name of a hero that everyone wants to focus so you'll just hear like diva 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 diva, 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 yeah, diva yeah, yeah.
1: a bunch of times <laughs> um so and they're like what are the rules or parameters while they're up on stage they're playing against the other team are they listening to their coach or is a coach allowed to um
0: to i don't believe the coach is allowed to listen to them i believe that they can talk to the coach after every match then they have open communications with them um but during the game they're just talking to the six players that are on the field right then and there but in between matches they can't talk and there's a halftime where they kind of go backstage and uh, they can make roster changes in between uh matches as well so they can pull a player out and pull another one in um the rosters are 12 people total so you can have basically six people on the bench kind of like ready to go at any point in time
1: all right and so um yeah, and these guys play like what 8 to 10 hours a day, sometimes more than that as far as practicing goes to
0: Um that's hard to tell honestly. Yeah. I think it depends on the team. I think some teams I've heard can go up and up until that high uh, of hours played a day. Um some other teams might be more lenient. I know that a lot of teams do focus a lot on like their player health, so they got like their own chefs that cook him like really nutritious food all the time. They got like yeah. an exercise program and they probably do limit the amount of hours. They make it more like, you know, a regular job. Maybe you clock in a certain time and then you clock out at a certain time. And that, at, at that point it, it's up to you what you want to do with the rest of your day. Some players might play some more overwatch. I, I don't know, but it really depends on the team and the organization. I think.
1: Yeah. Uh, makes me think of um, speaking of South Korea again that they when they have like pop stars in the in the K-pop world they often like the they'll form a, a girl or a boy group and they'll have them live on a compound and kind of like practice their vocals every day and they sort of it's like you you move away from home to go to this like camp. Where you yeah. just improve on your abilities. I'm, I'm guessing they have that similar situation with their esports teams and the the. That is kind of exactly what they do. Well,
0: right now all of the teams are stationed in California, just because everything's getting um, filmed and, pr- and all the production is there. Yeah. So every team has their own team house and they all live inside of the team house. Um, and you guys, if if you're curious about it, you should go check it out because a lot of the teams have like a show you their house kind of thing and yep. some of them are really really cool like i wouldn't mind living yeah. in one of those <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i don't it would be cool to be a professional uh, esports player i don't know uh, i don't know if i have the innate abilities but uh it would be <laughs> it would be kind of cool um will yeah, so speak- pass my prime for that but it would be cool <laughs> yeah um speaking of like um i want to talk about uh settings like in the game and actual like uh uh, gear configuration like your your peripherals your keyboard your mouse when you watch these professional players i see them with their keyboards like on like a 20 degree angle <laughs> like they don't keep them straight like this you know and it, is that just like how is there a uh, advantage to that or is it just the way these guys happen to play i think that just happens to
0: be of their preference um and that specific thing that you're talking about i don't know if you what your setup is like. But right now, I have one of those big mouse pads and a gaming mouse. So that's what I use to play for Overwatch. And I usually play on low sensitivity. So I can, you know, aim a little bit slower and be more precise about my movements. Yeah. But that, what that happens is I have to move my keyboard way off to the side. Right. Uh, so my arms are like pretty <laughs> out? which is not generally a problem if you're just playing for like an hour. But if you're playing for like, you know, six hours a day and there's days that i've done it like a, a saturday that i have off i'm just like oh i'm gonna play a bunch of Overwatch, watch and by the end of those six hours i'll stand up and i can tell that my actual shoulder is tired you know like it gets like really right. sore so i think that sometimes that repositioning and stuff is more of a, a, a method they've developed to maybe diminish like you know
1: oh, right.
0: soreness or like you know how they can interact with it yeah um, but as far as gear goes, there are some advantages to having a slightly better gear than, you know, your average just stock mouse or monitor, right? Yeah. Um, as far as the mouse goes, a gaming mouse goes a long way just because you can adjust your sensitivity. And that's like the speed at which the mouse, you know, traverses the screen. And for first-person shooters, that's quite important just because you want to reach one sensitivity where you're really comfortable in, right? Where you're not moving incredibly fast around the screen, where your screen is not super jittery because each movement of your mouse just you know, moves it a lot. Um, or you don't want to be too slow that it takes you forever to turn you know, 180 degrees or stuff like that. You want to find one where like, that's the sweet spot, right? Like you can move around the battlefield comfortably, but you can also be detailed with your movement. If you're aiming a sniper, for example, you might want to do, like, uh, small adjustments or um, very fine movements so you can click that head, right? Um,
1: yeah. Do, do you um, have different settings for different um, heroes? or Is that what most people do? Because mine are a little different for each one, and I don't know if that's wasting time. Some pro players do that. Honestly, I w- would advise
0: against it, especially if you don't get to play as much, just because I think it's more important that you build a consistent muscle memory. Uh-huh, uh, okay. And you can do that a little bit easier if everything is consistent. I go as far as even making my sensitivities when I'm scoped in, for example, with Widowmaker, which is a sniper character, to be the same sensitivity as when I'm not scoped in so that I'm never changing what a turn feels for me, right? Uh, I always yeah, want yeah. to like, know that. Um, and later on, that campsing comes in really handy because um, you can make shots that you would think, are impossible based just on your muscle memory. If you know that somebody is to your right, you can move to your right almost subconsciously and then shoot at them uh, without even thinking about it as long as your brain and your hand are kind of like connected in that sense, you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: no, that makes sense. Um, maybe I'll switch back to keep everything in the same, in the same <laughs> line. Um, so what about, uh, like I, I mentioned, or uh, I did see that this one pro, pro player said he doesn't like to move his fingers off of the movement keys, the WASD. So he'll change his melee to, like, wheel up instead of, like, a key, which made a lot of sense to me, I guess. Because, like, if that's just your personal preference, you don't like to, like you mentioned, fat fingering. You don't want to move your fingers right. too too much. You just want to keep them in place. That's that's an interesting um tactic and what about like vi- uh video and audio settings in the game because i've seen pro players keep their stuff on low and like for me i'd rather just keep it all on high because i want to see like the visuals of the game you know the, the part of the reason why the game is um given so many accolades is is the visual the, the brightness and the uh you know in contrast to like all the zombies call of duty stuff you see which is gears of war you know it's so dark and um a dystopian right. and Overwatch.
0: Overwatch came- is a pretty game. No, I yeah. agree with you. Yeah, it looks good. And they made it look really good. Um, as far as like graphic settings, that's really up to your preference. Um, they're really, really competitive players. Turn everything down to low for a couple of reasons. One, stability. They want to be able to get as high frames per second as possible and keep it stable as high as possible without any dips or drops ever. Um, so to in order to accomplish that, sometimes setting your game to the lowest settings kind of yields the best results in that sense. Um, and then the second reason is sometimes turning it to the lowest settings actually takes out certain elements out of the map. So like certain bushes or shrubs, or like little pillars. Um, And when you're trying to be as competitive as possible, you know, not having as much clutter in the map can be the difference between you seeing somebody and them not seeing you, right? Right. Uh, And even though this happens very minimally, like the the advantage that you get from it is very minimal in Overwatch because it's not like that many things get removed. It's just like very few here and there, and if any, in sometimes in a map. Um, But it's more for that consistency, yeah. You want to have like really high fps is and that relates more when you actually get uh, a nicer gaming monitor um i don't know what kind of monitor do you game in but have you ever heard like 140 hertz monitors or 240 hertz monitors
1: right yeah i mine's just like a like a 200 300 monitor that's it's pretty good it's not it doesn't have like the g-sync or the v-sync um or any of that that stuff but i don't only really remember the hertz but uh yeah it's not like a gaming monitor but i do mm-hmm. fairly well on it i've what i i do wonder sometimes if i upgraded what would be the difference and that kind of thing and
0: so when you're getting super competitive with a game after you get a good mouse that is the second upgrade i would actually recommend everyone to try out get a gaming monitor at least 144 hertz if you guys don't know what the hell i'm talking about you are probably gaming or you've been playing on a 60 hertz monitor that is like the standard And everyone has one out there. Your TV is 60 hertz. Your stock uh, monitor is usually 60 hertz. Most laptops are 60 hertz. Uh, 144 hertz um, basically means you get more frames streamed into your monitor per second. Um, And if you have a good computer that can actually output that many frames per second on your game, you actually do notice a very significant difference when you're playing um, the game feels not only smoother when you're like turning around or when you're uh, doing things, but you're actually able to see more detailed, a little bit easier. So you can see certain characters uh, do certain little animations or moves um, much easier. Or when you move the screen and you swipe around, um, it's not as blurry or kind of like a, just a blob of lights kind of coming through you, but you can are a, more able to discern. What is happening and at first i thought that it was kind of like bullshit you know what i mean like oh yeah upgrade yeah. is not gonna make that much of a difference but after playing in like 144 hertz compared to 60 and then seeing like a 240 hertz compared to like everything else it is a significant difference like the game looks so much smoother and it, it's so much easier to tell what is happening
1: Huh. So the difference from sixty to hundred forty-four is noticeable. What about, and then the jump to two forty is that noticeably the same it, amount of it's notice-
0: noticeable? It's noticeable too. Um, I don't know if it's like immensely more noticeable, but it's still mm-hmm. noticeable. It's like it's like listening to a, like a low quality MP3 and then listening to like a high quality WAV file. Like yeah. it's you still get like all the content there. But if you're somebody who like has good ears you will definitely notice an immediate difference right
1: right Uh, could you explain the concept of the meta to people and how that plays into competitive um playing
0: yeah sure the meta i think that's like the the word that everyone uses (laughs) but it's basically like a word to say um what is regarded as the best thing to play like at the time right uh, and in Overwatch, when you're talking about the meta, you're talking about a group of heroes that is regarded to be the best. Like if you play a a, a team with this group of heroes, you're usually going to do good, right? Um, the meta is ever changing. It changes with new patches, new heroes that get added to the game. Um, right now we are in what they call the goats meta, and it's a really funny name for, yeah. for it, uh. But it basically means a team with three tanks and three healers, um, three of the beefiest people in the game and three of the people that can keep those people alive, uh, the best in the game. And it turns out that it, that combination of heroes is working out really good right now. If you've been playing Overwatch, I'm sure you're familiar with this, if you heard of this terminology at one point or another. Uh, if you're not familiar with Overwatch, <laughs> that's
1: what it means. Now, is that because um, the recent uh, healer characters that have been added over the last year or so have really have really been tweaked and kind of just... Um, so we there's what Br- Brigitte and uh, Moira is fairly new too. Um, so these support heroes, um, is that why there's the 3 and 3 uh, situation going on? Just because there's been some great healers added or, or some of the healers have been improved or what?
0: Yeah, I think that there's more more selection. And I think just the way Overwatch is played, like there's an objective, right? It's not just a death match of who's trying to kill each other before the other one. You're fighting for an objective. I think over time people have realized, oh, actually if we get three of the people that can sustain the most damage and then we get three of the people that can heal that damage as fast as possible, we can actually contest the objectives or play for the objective a lot easier than like people who are just playing for kills. Um, yeah. that, yeah, with the addition of more heroes and more tools to kind of do this, they finally found like, Oh, these three, these three actually worked really well to do exactly just that. Um, and because Overwatch doesn't limit you in the amount of characters you can take, right? Like you can take five tanks if you want to, you can take yeah. six. Um, I think that they realized that three and three just worked, uh, quite well together. Uh, And I think Blizzard is doing things to kind of like try to spice that up a little bit, change it up a little bit. But I think so far um, it's just very hard to do because, yeah, the abilities just mesh up so well together.
1: Yeah. So they don't want to keep things stagnant um, in the meta or in in the league or in the game in general. Right. So um, we had a recent patch. Are they trying to beef up a couple of the DPS characters so that they can sort of break break that team a little better?
0: Yeah, I think that's what they've been trying to do. They've been trying to give the damaged characters more of a little boost to see if um, it's more appealing to start bringing the damaged characters again. Um, so far, there's been some success. You see a little bit more variety in the league. Actually, this week, that the new patch that you mentioned just hit, um, we've seen a lot of new compositions kind of come out, um, and Goats, the king of compositions, has been reduced a little bit, although it's still... It's still very prevalent. It's not. It's not quite dead. I think they were still, yeah. of it. <laughs>
1: uh, speaking of new heroes, do you know any rumors, or is there any information out on any? Because um, they mentioned they they bring in a new hero. It seems like every six months. And aren't they gonna event? Are they gonna stop? Or are they gonna eventually have like a hundred characters? Like
0: I think it's a little bit sooner. They bring a new character every four months or so. Oh, okay. Because about three. It's about three per year. So. Oh, okay. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the new one's gonna be coming out pretty soon. They usually have one like early in the year, one around the summer, and then one they leave for uh, the fall BlizzCon when they do their huge convention over there. Um, but yeah, there's probably one coming up. There's the the new event coming up if you guys are into Overwatch, the um, Archives event. They usually bring like this whole uh event where people can play with their friends and is usually player versus computer rather than player versus player um so cool stuff to try and they're probably teasing some of the new characters there's new robot called maximilian who looks like an evil accountant or something i don't know right oh yeah he he might be one who knows
1: yeah that's cool um so sort of in closing um where do you see the longevity of this game going like some people mention um you know every game has a moment where it dies um to me, this seems like a game that, like we mentioned in the beginning, that they're focusing on a lot, putting in a lot of energy and money and time. And we th- we see the league expanding and competitive expanding and the player the player base expanding. Do you see the game lasting for like a decade or longer?
0: Yeah, I, I see the game lasting for a really long time. And every game has its ups and downs. But Blizzard is one of those companies that usually just doesn't leave their games like you can still play world of warcraft even after what like 15 years or something like that (laughs) that has come out and the game's still you know doing good even though online mmos are not really like the thing to do anymore it still has like you know a sustainable player base so i don't see ever see overwatch just like outright going away I think that we are in a small dip in the game uh, compared to like, when it came out. The game was super popular and there was a ton of people playing it. I think this is probably like um, more of the slower points that it's had. But that being said, the league is not slowing down, even though the main game itself maybe has lost a little bit of its popularity on Twitch. And, you know, we have Apex Legends and we have um, Fortnite still being huge over there. And some of the games taking more of like that huge spotlight. Um, Overwatch League is still doing really, really well for itself. And it's still gathering a huge audience more than every other esport right now. Um, so even though the main game is dipping, Overwatch League is doing really good, and I imagine Blizzard is going to bring out new patches, new heroes, new stuff coming into the game that you know will revitalize it down the line. Um, a lot of people have been asking for major changes to the game, and I think that Blizzard at this point is a little bit more lenient in what they want to do. So we'll see what they have in store. I think that Overwatch is definitely not just going to die. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, cool. Okay, so can you plug your podcast for uh, listeners or your your social media and that? Where can they find you?
0: Yeah, if you want to find me, you can look me up on Twitter at iPlayGames. You spell that I-P-L-A-I Games. And you want to find the podcast, you can do so in any of your podcasting apps, iTunes, Spotify, all that stuff. Uh, it's spelled Omnic Lab. Um, You can just look it up in Google Omnic Lab. You can find our website omniclabpodcast.com You can write to us, email us You can join our Discord. Uh, We have a really cool Overwatch community, so if you're looking for people to play the game and not just, you know be at the mercy of the matchmaker system uh, it's a good place to look at we hold live game nights at the end of every month and those are incredibly fun if you just want like a chill group of people to just play heroes and not even bother with competitive or quick play um they get we get like sometimes three lobbies full of people just playing together um, it's really really fun so check those out
1: cool i might have to join you guys a lot of my friends have been quitting so now i'm just playing solo so (laughs) there you go we
0: we got new friends for you dude (laughs) okay sweet
1: all right andres i want to thank you again for joining us on the podcast and all the best dude
0: thank you so much for having me